Well, amen. Amen to that song, huh? There's no other fount. Only his blood makes the difference. Great stuff. Great stuff. Well, welcome. Uh, man, it's good to be here in the pulpit uh, speaking with you. And so uh, I'd say uh, <laughs> hello to everybody up there in the booth. There's not anybody else in the building, but you're at home there and, and, uh, and watching us right now. And so um, I have the privilege this morning of speaking to you out of John chapter 4. And I'm um, going to be speaking about it's the last uh, portion of the revolutionary uh, series that we're going through. We're going to stay in John, but we'll be doing a different, uh, different title for a different theme uh, coming through that next section. Um, this morning's passage uh, creates a tension. There's a, there's a tension here. And uh, I, I went with a big idea of saying that seeing, seeing with your eyes is not believing, which goes against the grain of what you've always heard. Seeing is believing is what you grow up with, right? I mean, if I can see it, I must have to believe in it. And in this particular case, I am saying that seeing is not believing. Seeing is not believing. There's a little bit of a tension there. Um, it's one that has bothered me for years. Um, belief and unbelief. And the one that bothers me in the unbelief category, but all unbelief categories really trouble me as a pastor, as a believer in Christ, as one who has unsaved loved ones who don't believe that Christ died for them. Uh, that bothers me. And it, it uh, troubles my soul, and it's a great tension. But there's a specific tension that I think of this morning even that is even uh, more bothersome to me if, if, if that's even possible. And that tension is this, that if the building was full of people that call Valley Bible Church their church and they call Christ their Savior, it would appear from the eye that everybody believes. I don't believe that's true today. And that's the tension for me. Seeing, seeing you in a building, seeing you with a bumper sticker that says, I found it, which is really aging me because most of you below 35 have no idea what that means. But having a bumper sticker with Jesus on it or a cross or a cross around my necklace, uh, seeing that does not mean that you believe. And we see that in several places in Scripture. But um, I want to talk, I want to get into this passage, but that's the tension I'm concerned about those that say they believe who don't really believe. And so we're going to discuss that this morning, and um, we're going to see that in that tension, and hopefully we're going to answer that tension. And uh, the Scripture will definitely answer that tension. So I'm going to read the passage this morning, and, um, and then we'll get started, because um, uh, when I did my rough draft of this passage, and it's only 11 verses. It's 11 verses. And when I did my rough draft and did my notes, I had 39 pages of notes. So don't get nervous. I've pared it down to about 23. No, I've, I've pared it down to quite a few less than that. And, but um, it's amazing. This, this passage really spoke to my own heart. And so I'm trusting that it'll speak to you this morning. Um, let's read the passage. It's John chapter 4, verses 40 through 43. 43 through 54, all right? I just invented a new word, 43. 43 through 54, here we go. After the two days, he went forth from Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. 
So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast. For they themselves also went to the feast. Therefore, he came again to Cana of Galilee, where he, made, where he had made the water into wine. And there was a royal official whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him. Other translations might say begging him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. The son was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. The royal official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus then said to him, go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. As he was now going down, his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. So he inquired of them the hour when he began to get better. Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This is again a second sign that Jesus performed when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. So there's a few things in the passage that when you just read through it like I just did, you might go, wow, what is he saying there? And so we're just going to walk through it. I'll do my best here to walk through this and just show you what he's saying. First of all, Jesus is going back to where he started his journey from, back to Galilee. And, and this is interesting. After the first verse there, verse 43, after the two days he went forth from there into Galilee. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, if you were with us last week, uh, Paul finished up with the Samaritan woman who got saved at the well, and the whole village came to Jesus, and they all got saved. And then Jesus spent two days with them, probably two of the most joyful, wonderful days of Christ's ministry on the earth, I would say, when he had an entire village that came to acceptance of him. And, um, and then was able to share what they had believed in and who he was and what he was. And wow, what a thing that would have been to be in that village even. So that's the first part. He's coming back from two days of, and I got to think that if you're one of the people from that village of Sychar, uh, there, you don't want to see him leave. Those two days, you wanted to stay up late at night and get up early in the morning to be with Jesus and hear from him. And so you were probably saddened by his leaving. And he left there. And then it's very interesting that the next verse says, for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. What did that mean exactly? What is he talking about? Why would he say that right then and right there? And um, it's very, so he goes into Galilee and he's going to receive no honor. He's just coming back home where everybody's going, oh yeah, that's just Jesus. But at Sychar, he was, 
That's Jesus. That's the Messiah. <laughs> and so it's interesting, though, that as he comes back, he says, there's no honor. There, there'll be no one there to honor me as I return to my own country. So we read on. So when he comes, when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they themselves also went to the feast. So listen, it, it sounds a little tricky. He says no prophet in his own hometown is honored. So you go, oh, okay. But then the next thing he says is that the Galileans received him. Well, why did they receive him? It wasn't because of who he really was, but it's because of what he could do. It's because of what they had seen him do. They had seen him perform a miracle. They had seen him turn water into wine. Well, I don't know, but I think that if you um, were a wedding feast uh, partier and you knew somebody that could turn water into wine, you might remember that. You might remember that. You might think, man, that's, that's a guy I want to party with. Because when we run out of wine, he's going to turn water into wine. Now, I don't want to be disrespectful, but that's, you, you might think that that word got around. Not everybody saw him do that. But the word got around that he had done that. So people knew about it all over the place. They knew all about that. And so he was received into and received by them back into Galilee. They were, they were waiting. They actually probably were waiting for him. In reality, because they're like, man, when's that guy coming back that turns water into wine? And I believe also we can show you that there were other miracles that he had performed. There have been other miracles, but John doesn't address them in this particular segment of Scripture. But he says that they received him because of his miracles, having seen all the things that he had done. They had seen all the things that they had done. But you see, seeing didn't turn into believing. They just, the belief that they had at that point was that he could do miracles, that he was somebody special. He had the ability to turn water into wine. He may have, he may have healed some sick people while he was there. There may have been some other ways because the feast lasted more than just a few hours that he went to. Because he went to the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and, and later on in the passages of John, later on in these chapters, he'll mention other times that he's healed. And in the other Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see several times that he does healing. And so they were there anticipating him being there, and uh, they remembered him, obviously. But he wasn't received as the King of Kings or as the Messiah. And so the honor that he was really after in his own country, they're not going to give him. And they're not going to give him that honor even in the future. There may have been a handful. There might have been a, a few. If you remember his, when he was resurrected, well, when he died on a cross, how many people were there that were there on his behalf to honor him? How many people actually showed up at his resurrection? It says 500 witnessed him in Corinthians. It says 500 witnessed him ascend. That's not very many when you consider the tens of thousands of people that lived in the area. So him not receiving honor in his own country was a prophecy that he fulfilled. So we move along, and I like that. move into the next section here because I don't want to spend all my time in that area. 
The second sign, as we take a look at the final segment of the revolutionary in John chapter 4, the final story in chapter 4, you get to this 46 through 54, it is a miracle story. It's a story where a miracle takes place, a healing. And it is designed to be consistent with John's purpose to demonstrate the deity of Christ himself, of Jesus, the Lord, through his supernatural power. But it also is a story about believing. It is a story particularly about believing and what it means to believe. And that is where the big idea, seeing is not believing, comes from. And that's where we'll develop that. So if you'll remember, he says that this is the second sign, as I said earlier. The first sign you remember was at the wedding at Canaan, which we already talked about. I'm going to read through that section just real quick one more time. Therefore he came up again to Cana of Galilee where he made the water wine and there was a royal official. And this would be called, a royal official here would be called a basilicus. That would be the Greek term. Whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea in Galilee, he went to him and was imploring him to come down and heal his son. For he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. I'm going to stop right there. Um, this is a um, this is a man that's desperate. His son had been sick for a while, apparently. And um, as we look at him, I think, man, Lord, it seems kind of a harsh thing that he he wants his son to be healed, and he's he's come a long ways. He was, remember now, Jesus, Jesus is up in Cana of Galilee. That's up higher in the mountain area. And Capernaum was actually about 700 feet below sea level. So he had made a long journey to get to Jesus. A long journey. A long, hard. It would have took him all day. If he got up early in the morning, it would have took him till nightfall to get there. And he heard Jesus was there, and so he came. And so when he says, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and was begging him. He was pleading with him to come down and heal his son. Come down to Capernaum and heal my son. Please come down. You're the only one I know at this point that can help him. And Jesus' response seems so harsh when you read it. And it seems like he's, a, he's kind of attacking the man, but not really. If you look at the way the words are written, it's a plural. He's saying it to everyone around him. And that's verse 48 where he says, so Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders. I think this is one of the only places that he uses the term wonders. He says this in the other gospels about signs, but signs and wonders. John added that in to his gospel presentation here because he wanted to emphasize it. Unless you see signs and wonders, you simply will not believe. Now, that's kind of contrary to what I said the big idea was, isn't it? Unless you see, you won't believe. The problem is they saw and they still didn't believe. Throughout the Gospels, we see that. We're going to see that in John as we go forward. There's going to be, the next section that we're going to do is going to have a lot of conflict in it. A lot of things that Christ does that they just ignore. It reminds me, as I looked at this, it reminded me of 
and stay with me. I hope I can transition this without it offending anyone's senses here. It reminded me a lot of Pharaoh with the children of Israel where Moses kept going to Pharaoh and putting plagues on the people. And Pharaoh would say, relent, have God relent, we'll, we'll repent, we'll let the people go. And so the signs would come, and what would Pharaoh do? It said there in, in Exodus, it says, and then when the lifting of the plague happened, Pharaoh would harden his heart. Pharaoh would harden his heart. Pharaoh and his men would harden their heart. So they had all the signs they needed, but they would not believe. They, they would even, even in the hardening of their heart, they would say, man, this has to be the only God, the Yahweh God, the, the one and only, the I am that we're dealing with here. But then they would harden their heart and not believe. So, and what would God do? Another plague and another plague until finally in those horrific passages there found in Exodus, it says that God started to harden Pharaoh's heart. So seeing didn't equal believing to Pharaoh. And seeing doesn't always equal believing in the miracles of Christ, does it? That was evidenced just by what I said earlier in the fact that only 500 people were actually there once he was resurrected to see him ascend. There should have been thousands there just based on what all of the miracles that he had performed, the evidence that he was truly Christ. Because we might say, well, why miracles? Why would he do miracles? Because he had, that was, guess what? You want proof that somebody is who they say they are, don't you? If somebody shows up at your door and says that they're um, with the police department, what do you look for? You look for credentials. You want to see a badge. You want to see something that proves they are who they say they are, especially if they say, can we, we need to come through your house for something. You want to see some proof, <laughs> right? So that's what Christ was performing miracles so that he could say, I am but he had performed so many of them and nobody believed in him. Or not very many believed in him. And so it's a, it's a theme throughout his entire ministry that, yeah, you're gonna, you believe in me. You, you do believe in me. But you don't believe in me for the right reason. And so you believe that I am a miracle worker. You believe that I can heal people. And throughout the Gospels and through all of the miracles have never been proven to be wrong. And throughout history, they never proven that any of the miracles that Christ performed didn't actually happen. They actually did happen. It's proven through history. It's proven historically that the miracles that Christ performed were really, truly miracles. They weren't some storyline. It actually happened. So there was proof that it was happened, and it had happened. And so they saw the miracles, and they still didn't believe. They still didn't believe. So seeing doesn't equal believing, right? Seeing doesn't necessarily mean you believe. I've seen that in services here at Valley Bible Church, I've seen people respond to the gospel, respond to the gospel. Um, in Matthew, he talks about the second soil when he talks about the four soils. He says, they believe and they have joy for a while. 
Like, don't let your own self be deceived. <laughs> because they have joy for a while, but then something comes along, a storm comes and washes them out. But they look like they're believers. They might even think they're a believer at that point. Seeing does not always equal believing. Seeing is not believing. And that's even true of us as we observe. So let's go back to the passage. I love this. This shows you the desperation of the royal official. Because even after that rebuke from Christ, now look, this, this royal official, he could have said, all right, he doesn't want to have any part of me. He doesn't, he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. He's, he's not going to not going to come through for me. But what did he do? He was persistent. He, I think that he knew that unless Christ does something to heal my son, my son's going to die. I, I think he just knew that. And matter of fact, I believe that in the storyline, he actually probably thought by the time he got back to his son, he would be dead. That's why he kept imploring and begging Christ come now and and the reality is they said it was in the seventh hour which would have been later in the day probably and so to travel at night was not a possibility so even if christ would have set out to go down they would have never got there in time but what does the royal official do verse 49 the royal official said to him sir come down before my child dies he's not going to give up He's not going to give up. He's going to keep coming to the only, like, one of the ways I can put this is Jesus is the only game in town at that point. He's the only hospital. He's the only doctor available. He's the only one that can heal. And guess what? That's true today. It's true today. In that time, he was the only option that the royal official had. The only way his son could be saved was if Jesus did something does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound familiar to you this morning? The only chance that you have is if Jesus did something. If Jesus did something. Well, let me tell you right now, he did a whole lot. He did a whole lot. He came from heaven, took on the form of a human being, took on a body that he didn't have to do, but to please his father and to, so that you might be able to be reconciled to his father, he came. And we sing a song sometimes, he came all this way. He came all this way. And the line to that song that makes me want to weep is to make your heart his home. But he came all the way. And so he's the only game in town, people. If you want to spend eternity with God, the only way, the only game in town, the only one, the only thing you can do is place faith in Jesus Christ and the work he did on a cross. Watch what Jesus does. And I see this in other Gospels where the people were persistent with Christ. He said to the woman at the table, he said, get away from me. I didn't come to serve the Gentile dogs. And she said, but don't the dogs get the crumbs at least? And he said, go on, your daughter's been healed. So here's what happens. This royal official, now look, for him to be begging and pleading, he's a royal official. 
He's, a roy, he's, he's part of the royal household. And now he's begging and pleading with Christ. And he says, Sir, come down before the child dies. And then Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. Go, your son lives. I said it twice, he didn't. And then look at this. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and started off. Now I have to ask you, and I'm going to answer it, but I'm going to ask you, think about that. It says he believed what Jesus said. He believed that Jesus could heal his son or he never would have got there. He would have stayed home and tried to continue to administer some kind of, some kind of uh, medical treatment to his son. But he knew there's nothing else I can do. I've got to go see this man from Galilee. He is the stranger in town that can heal. I need to get to him. Jesus says, go, your son lives. Now he had a decision to make at that point. Does he insist that Jesus go with him? Or does he now believe that what Jesus said could happen actually happens? Well, he's, he made the decision to say, I believe the word of this prophet, this miracle worker. I believe the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he started off. Now watch this. As he was now going down, his slaves, so he was, a, he was probably a pretty wealthy guy, pretty important from the royal household, the, the royal official. He had his own slaves, and they were coming toward him. And he, as he met him on the road, it says his slaves met him, saying that his son was living. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and put myself in the position of the father. It says that he believed Jesus and he left and he went and he went back. He was headed back. Do you think he really believed it all the way, or did, he, did you think he was saying, well, it's all I can do is believe you because I've, I've got to go? I'm not sure. I think if it was me, I would have some doubts. I'd be like, okay, I met this guy named Jesus. I know he's done some miracles. I know he has power. I'm not sure he can actually heal my son, though. I don't know that for sure. There's no way to know that for sure. Now, unless he had seen him heal some others, and we don't know because it doesn't tell us that. But... He's going down the road. And can you imagine for just one moment the butterflies in the stomach, the churning inside when he sees his own slaves coming toward him? Can you imagine? He might have thought, they're probably coming to tell me my son's no longer alive. But I, I, I do believe what this man said. He said that he would be living. So it was probably a very mixed emotion. And can you imagine, there's not a whole lot said, but can you imagine when they told him, your son is living, what he felt, what he must have thought? His heart must have leapt within him. Mine certainly would have. So he inquired of them. So I, I think there was probably a few moments of rejoicing before he did any inquiring. And he inquired of them. What was the hour when he began to get better? 
Then they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. The exact time that Christ, that Jesus told him, your son lives, the fever was gone. It was that quick, that quick. It was at the, I believe it was the exact time. As soon as those, the, the healing might have already been done before he even got out of his mouth, but I believe the minute he said it, it happened. And that's what the father is inquiring about, and that's what he's finding out. And so the father knew that it was at that hour in which Jesus had said to him, your son lives, and he himself, and he himself, the father now, believed, and his whole household. So wait a minute. It's already said that he believed up here, didn't it? It already said that he believed Christ up here, but back down here, and he himself believed and his whole household. That's a different belief. There's a different belief that takes place there. Now, before the first belief that we found up there in verse 50, He's saying, I believe that he has the ability to heal my son. I believe he's a miracle worker. And like I said earlier, you can't prove that Christ wasn't a, a miracle worker. People will believe that before they believe he's the Messiah for sure. But he's a miracle worker. So he believed that what he said was true. So he left him, right? Well, now a different kind of belief happens. Now he believes and his whole household believes not just in what Jesus could do, not the miracles that he could perform, not that he could feed people that didn't have any food or that he could heal sick or that he could turn water into wine. Let me ask you something. How much will water turning into wine help you when your son's dying? That's a miracle that wouldn't help you at all, would it? But now, this miracle causes this man to place faith in who Jesus said he was, into his name, into the name of Jesus Christ. He believed upon him. He said, this is the Messiah. He is truly sin of God. Now, he doesn't say that in the narrative, but in that believed, he believed in Christ as a whole. He put trust in him then. Whatever he believed before that, he put that to the side and said, I've met the Messiah. I've met Jesus. And let me tell you something. That first belief, that first belief, that's the one that scares me. It's the one that scares me because you, if you're here watching and maybe you've never even been to this church, maybe you've never been inside, but for some reason this morning you decided to turn us on. You decided to put us on your computer or on your TV and you're there and you go, what's this guy talking about saved? What does that mean? And I'm saying it's when you place faith in Jesus Christ that's, that saves you for eternity. Saves you for eternity. But what bothers me about that first belief is I, I think that that's probably the type of belief that a lot of people sitting in churches, or not in churches right now, not in our area anyway, I think that that belief is the kind that a lot of people have. They have a belief in they believe that there was a Jesus. 
They believe Jesus Christ. They, they might even believe he was the son of God. They might, even, they might believe a whole lot of things that you believe as a believer, but they've never believed. They've never really believed. They see all these things about Jesus. This guy saw him. He saw him as a miracle worker. He was seeing him as someone that could help him. But he wasn't believing yet. He believed that he could do the miracle, but he didn't believe him for the biggest miracle of all, which is his own eternal salvation. If you follow that. And also, you've got to remember that John is telling this to the background of who he's, ta- who he's writing this story to is in Judaism, which was a religion where they, they believed later on after Christ's crucifixion, they would, they would tell you that you have to believe that Christ died, but you have to do that plus be circumcised, plus this, plus that, plus this, plus that. And so my warning to you and my, my trouble with that is that that is takes the gospel and turns it into something it's not supposed to be. You, you start making it be about your good works or about keeping the law. Yeah, I believe Jesus died for me on a cross and I believe that he was buried and he rose again and I believe all that and I put my trust in that and my good works. In studying for this sermon, I ran across a commentary that spoke about uh, probably about 10 years ago, it, it mentioned that the, uh, the Pope had put out a deal that said that um, atheists, atheists were probably going to be in heaven or they were going to be in heaven because of their good works. Now, now think how bad that sounds. Just, just stay with me on that. Just think about that for a moment. Wait a minute. They don't believe in God so that's one thing. And if they don't believe in God, they for sure don't believe that Jesus Christ died for them. But yet, the Pope from the Catholic Church, I'm sorry, I don't want to step on the Catholic's toes too much, but when this kind of comment comes up, I have to address it. He says that they're going to be in heaven because of their good works. I'm going to tell you, I don't find that anywhere in Scripture at all. Look at what he says. We've already seen some of this. So this is really contrary to all of what that religious group believed in, that you could just believe in Christ and that would be enough. Look at verse, if you look back at this, what we've already studied here in John, if you look back at chapter 1, verse 12, which Paul covered, Pastor Paul covered that in his first week of this series. And we look at it, it says, as many as received him, as many of them as believed in him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Okay, now, how do you become a child of God? Based on that passage. Receiving Christ. Do you see anything else in that path? When you look at, look at John chapter 1, verse 12, I don't want to deceive you. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Wow. What does that mean? Even to those who believe in his name. 
believing is receiving. Not seeing, I got to see it first. I need to see God first, and then I'll believe. Let me tell you right now, if you're waiting till you see him, it'll be too late to believe in him. You have to place faith in him before you're ever going to see him. What did he tell Thomas? What did Christ tell Thomas? Blessed are those, you, like Thomas, you saw me and you believed. You saw the wounds. You had to, you had to I made you put my, your hand in my side because you said you'd have to see it first. But more blessed are those who will believe on my name who have never seen me. Have you ever seen Jesus? Have you ever seen God? Have you placed your faith in him and him alone? If you have, you're more blessed than even Thomas was. So believing is receiving. Fully believing in his name. What do I mean by his name? What does it mean by his name? I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. All that he is, everything that is true about him, that's the idea of the use of name in the languages of Scripture. When you hear that, believe on Jesus Christ. Well, believe on his name. Well, what does that mean? Everything about him. Everything he said he was. Believe it. That, that he is, it's him and him alone. Believe it. Look what he says in Scripture. When God says this, I love these terminologies. My name is is like they said, what's your name? And what did he say? My name is I am that I am. He means my name is who I am. And when you say you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, that means to say that you believe in everything that he is and everything that he does. You believe fully in the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you get there, now you don't have to worry about any tomorrows. you got a hope beyond hope. You're going to see him. You're going to live eternally. You're never going to be separated from the Father, and no one can separate you from his love even, as Romans 8 talks about. So to become a child of God is simply a matter of faith. It's a matter of believing in his name. We go back to the third chapter that Matthew covered there in John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're waiting to see him and you don't believe in him, by the time you see him, it'll be too late. I'm reminded of the rich man that's visited by Lazarus in hell. And all he wants is a Luke 16, if you want to go look at it, verse 19. All he asks is, can you just get a cup of water? Can you just put a, just let some water drip on my tongue? And then he says, oh, I, I got to read it. I'll mess it up if I don't read it. Hold on. I have it here. Luke 16, it's at the end of my text here. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. <laughs> poor as poor can be here on earth, as rich as you could ever be in heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades where he was in torment, the rich man was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from here to us, from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No father Abraham, he said, no father Abraham. But if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. If there's another miracle that can happen, surely they would believe. They'll repent then, won't they? They'll see that somebody from the tomb has been resurrected. And then surely they'll repent. And this is what Abraham said to him. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Guess what? Someone rose from the dead. And there were people that had walked with him while he lived on the earth. That was Jesus Christ that rose from the dead. And guess what? They still don't believe it. They don't believe it. I think there were people that were present I believe this. I don't know how they could do it, but I believe it's probably true. There were people that actually saw him walking around after he was resurrected. So he was from the dead. He had come back from the dead. And surely they'll believe if someone is resurrected. If someone comes back from the dead, surely they'll believe that. And they didn't. And I think there were probably a lot of them, actually, that saw him as he was resurrected, not as it happened, but they saw him in his resurrected form. They might have even saw him ascend, and they still didn't place faith in him. Troubling, isn't it? Very troubling. So now, it's a great, I love the storyline of this. The narrative of this is just beautiful. And I enjoyed uh, this passage of Scripture immensely. So I guess the question now is, what's the, what, do we, what do we do with this now? Well, I'd like for you to take a moment and really consider, because it's, um, it's super important that you don't see yourself as a believer, but that you are a believer. Like you don't just say, oh, I, 
I believe in Christ. I believe he was the son of God. I believe he was born on Christmas, born of a virgin. You got all that. You got all the stuff that you would see and look at and say, that's what makes me a believer. Mm, that makes you a partial believer. That might still be an unbelief when it comes to the actual renewing of your, the rebirth that Nicodemus questioned Christ about. How in the world can I be born again? By believing on the name of Jesus Christ, you can be born again. You can change your eternal destination. You can change it today. And what I don't want you to happen, what I don't want to happen to you is, well, I attended Valley for 10 years. And I, I, I listened to, to Pastor Paul and Larry and the different ones preach Christ, and, and I believed what they were saying. But did you place faith in him? Did you put your trust in that? Like fully believe on his name. Not a bunch of other things. I came to church every Sunday. That won't save you. I, I, I gave to the church. That won't save you. I, I didn't cheat on my wife. I didn't cheat on my husband. I, I was good to my kids. I made a good living. That won't save you. I, I, was a, I, I, I gave to the Red Cross and I bought Girl Scout cookies. Well, don't tell me the Girl Scout cookies. You bought those because those cookies are so good. But you did all these wonderful things. And I could point you to, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. I'm afraid you might be working in our Sunday school department and you don't know him. You see, seeing is not believing. Seeing him as the Savior of the world does not mean you're believing. Does it? No, it doesn't. It doesn't automatically transfer. You have to place faith in him and him alone. It's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. There's no other pathway to get to God. There's no other pathway to get to heaven. There's no other pathway to eternal life. If there was, why would he have sent his son? He wouldn't have. Seeing is not believing. You have to place faith. Let's look at what faith looks like, just real quick. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Let me see. It's a great faith chapter, isn't it? Here, let's see. Let's see what this author here said. Watch this. This is the kind of faith you have to put in Christ. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I am standing here today, right here on this stage, Fully assured that I'm going to go to heaven. Fully assured. I have placed belief and faith, interchangeable kind of words there. They can interchange. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. What am I hoping for? That one day I'm going to look in the face of Jesus Christ. I'm going to see the wounds in his hands. I'm going to see the side piercing in his feet. And I'm going to say, yes. He died for me. Yes, I believed it. And I'm going to see it one day. But right now, seeing is not believing. Just because you see a nice church and you come here and we see you here, let me tell you something. I'm praying for you because I don't know that you believe. I want you to be assured of it. If you can't articulate how you got saved, If you can't articulate what you believed in, oh, I pray that you'll take another look at what salvation means 
Look over at Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Read it. Read what you need to believe in. And then put your full trust in it. Your full trust. So the challenge is, look inward first. Paul warns us, work out your salvation. So do that first. And then the second challenge, I would say, is if you're in the camp of, I do believe, and I, I place faith in Christ, and I know him, and, and I, I have the right belief system. I don't have unbelief. There's no part of it that says i got to do something else. I fully place my faith in his name. Who are you going to share that with this week? I cannot think. You can say, oh, but pastor, things are so different. We don't get to meet. Okay, we don't get to meet. But you get to see us this way at least, and we're going to meet. We just met last night and did a singing thing, but we're going to meet this coming Sunday at 11 a.m. out here on the 23rd. That's going to be an opportunity to meet. But I want to know, you mean to tell me, I've been in my home a lot too. You mean to tell me you don't see your neighbors? We've invited our neighbors to watch this service. If there's ever been a time in your life that people need to hear about Christ, which they always need to hear about him, but if there's ever been a time, now's the time. I mean, people are troubled. Paul, Paul put stats up last week about the depression rate and the different things of people and how they're all troubled. Oh, they need a Savior desperately. They need the true faith that we talk about here in 11.1 of Hebrews. So this week, last week we challenged you, or a couple weeks back we challenged you to call people and encourage them. Now I'm challenging you, would you just do a favor, just do this for me. Don't go through a Billy Graham uh, seminar trying to figure out how to witness to people. Get in the book, read what I just told you to read. Read that, read Ephesians 2. It'll show you salvation so clearly. But if not, you can call the offices, and we've, we've got some pamphlets that'll show you how to share your faith, and we'll provide you with those. But I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna challenge you. Here's the challenge. Today, when we're done, when I, when I pray and in this service, I'm gonna ask you to take five minutes and, and pray and ask God to give you the opportunity this week to share your faith with somebody. Just to share what it means to believe in Christ and Christ alone and his name and his name alone. No other thing. Yeah, and don't, you can even tell them that when you share. I'm not asking you to change one thing in your life. The only thing I'm asking you to change is believe in Christ. He'll do the changing. You don't have to change. He'll change you. But if you will do that, oh, believer in Christ, don't you have some loved ones that you want to see God save? What about your neighbors? What about your workers at work? What about, oh, nobody's beyond God's reach. And you're his ambassador. I'm going to ask you to pray that God will give you the opportunity to share one time this week Jesus Christ with somebody. And it, you don't even have to know if they're a saver. They might even be saved already. But you might encourage their heart greatly just by saying i want to share jesus with you well man you're a believer i didn't know that you were i mean it'll, it'll it'll explode but i'm telling you let me warn you though every time i've prayed this god sends somebody <laughs> so get ready i'm encouraging you 
the whole book of John, the entire thing. We're going to go through all 20, I think it's 25 chapters here. We're going to get through all of them. And, and the whole point of the book, the whole point, 2031, it's 21 chapters, I'm sorry. The whole point, verse 31 of chapter 20. But these have been written, these scriptures, these verses that he wrote, have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Back to his name again, aren't we? Incredible. What a great passage. But if you want to share your faith with somebody, you ask God and he will let you. Man, he wants you to be his ambassador. He wants you to tell people about him. So you start praying right after this sermon. Right after you hear this sermon, you pray. And you say, God, please give me, give me the ability. Give me the courage to be able to do it. And let me tell you something. Paul said in one of his letters, pray that God will give me courage to share Christ. Well, my goodness, if Paul needs courage, so do we. So pray and ask God and see if God doesn't come through. And then, boy, if you lead somebody to the Lord, will you please let me know? We will, we will rejoice and rejoice and rejoice. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your goodness to us. I thank you for the, the way that Christ healed this royal servant from the royal household, how he healed up his son. And then not only did he heal the man's son and him, he came to life, but then he also saved that whole family and brought them to life. The man thought he was getting a bargain that you healed his son, Jesus. But he was getting a bigger bargain than he thought he was getting because he got you, and in getting you, he's got eternal life. By placing faith and believing in you, he gets eternal life. What an incredible thing. I'm praying for our church, Lord. Continue to sustain us. We thank you for yesterday and last night's worship. I pray that that bless the hearts of your people. Be with us now and be with us this week. Continue to allow our government to... Uh, Find ways that we can meet again. I pray you'll help them figure out a solution to this pandemic. We know you're in charge. We know you put them in charge. So we just pray and ask you to help them provide a solution to this so that we might once again meet together. But in the meantime, we're going to continue to witness for you. We're going to continue to tell people about Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We're a little bit over time here, but I thank you for joining us. And make sure you're back with us again next week. And make sure you join us on our VBC Daily Threes, uh, Monday through Saturday. Thank you very much.